Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. This is Russell Tovey and... Robert Diamant. And we're here with Talker. And we've got a special Talker episode this week because we have teamed up with another podcast who we greatly admire and have admired for a long time, called Homo Sapiens. It's a podcast collaboration crossover. Exactamundo. What other words can we use? Incredibly creative. Connecting us to different audiences and experiences and authenticity. And we are very proud of this. So please listen to this episode. And when you're finished, pop over to Homo Sapiens and listen to their side of this same story. Yeah, because this is in two parts. Part one is on the Talk Art feed, and then part two is on the Homo Sapiens feed. And you can find them just by searching Homo Sapiens, all one word, on your favourite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm feeling glad to be gay, which is a reference <laughs> to a Tom Robinson song, who was actually a real champion of mine when I was about 20 or something, when, yeah. when I made music. But I'm actually gay to be gay today, and also gay to be queer, and super gay, basically. No, that's not like you. <laughs> You're right. Um, who is Tom is Robinson it... then? Tell us who Tom Robinson is. No relation to Tony Robinson, Just is he? Google it. The fact you're even asking that question is like offensive to me. So today is not a normal episode of Talk Art. It is actually no. Talk Art versus Homo Sapiens, Ooh. which is an awesome podcast about LGBTQ plus human rights issues. And I've been listening for a long time. It was originally with the singer Will Young. And I used to listen every week and there was actually an amazing episode where they went to America and met a Uber taxi driver, which kind of broke my heart. I loved that episode so much. And now they have evolved Homo Sapiens and um, Will has gone back to his music career for a while. And I think he's written a book as well. And the new co-host is the one and only actor Alan Cummings. Love. Sorry, Alan Cumming. I just did it plural. I don't know. Why. Thank you. But I did. It's because you're just, you're, you've got so much personality that um, you're, you're now plural. Yeah, yeah. Just keep um, coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we are excited to have this special uh, joint episode, which will go out on both of our platforms, um, part one and part two. And we're going to be talking all about art and creativity and just being gay and all of our experiences growing up, I think. So, yeah, we would like to welcome to talk up with homo sapiens <laughs> alan, alan coming and chris, and chris sweetie hello, hello. Hey. Hi. hi guys how you doing hello people hi i'm just i'm in shock that you don't know 
who Tom Robinson was, Russell Torby. No, I know I'm terrible. I've just looked him up and I've just <gasps> seen he's the radio presenter and everything. Sing I don't know why I didn't if know you're that. glad that to be me... gay. Sing if you're happy that I way. I didn't know either. Hey. I googled. Shut up. Sing if you're glad to be gay. Oh my God. I feel ancient to, to hag. How old are you, Rob? I was born in 1980. I think, when were you born, Russ? 81. Oh, for fuck's 81. Sake. Yeah, just missed it. When were you but born, I'm obviously Christopher? Just a more cultured than us. Um, 82 is my <laughs> official age. Born 1962. <laughs> Stage age. I was born in 1965, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. No. Thank you very much. Drop the mic. Yes. So do you actually do you actually remember then when when Glad to Be Gay came out? Yeah. Yeah, I remember like, like uh, Tom Robinson was like a person on top of the pops and uh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. He was like a, a pop star. It's interesting about Tom Robinson. Didn't he kind of go back in the closet? I mean, sort of sort of stopped being gay. Later. Well, I, I think mean, he I fell in love. In closet, he fell in love with you? a woman, yeah. And I think he That's bisexual. what I mean. Yes, uh-huh. And maybe she is too. I'm not sure what the story was. I remember him telling me years ago, because I met him when he was at BBC Radio 6, which I think he probably still is there. I haven't been listening lately. But but um, yeah, and I think he said that he was married to a woman, but they were kind of bisexual, but they fell in love with each other. And I think it was one of those situations where you fall in love with the person, not the, you know, the, yes. the gender. The genitals, yeah. That's what um, happens. Yeah. Not the genitals, yes. yes. <laughs> but, oh my God, so where are you in the, where are you guys in the world whereabouts are you where are we finding everyone I'm in London I'm in Hackney London as well very nice very nice and Alan I am in the Catskill Mountains of New York State oh my God have you been there the whole time in lockdown yes because I was doing I was in London doing a play at the Old Vic and it, that's when it all went down, went to shit and then I went back to Scotland for a couple of days and flew back and went straight from the airport We I dropped my bags off at our place in New York City and then, I think I've been here since March the 19th. It's made magical, actually, to be... This is like my country house, and I'm here for weekends and blah, blah. But to have been here... I mean, it was snowing when I first got, got here. And uh, to be here over the, all the seasons changing, and to feel to be in a place where I feel completely safe has been Yeah, really totally. Amazing. That's so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was in New York, and then the show got cancelled. I was doing a play on Broadway, and then I flew back, and then I've just been at home in That's East London. Right. And, of course. Yeah, crazy days. So you guys have listened to Talker. We've obviously listened to your show and we're all uh, yes. on board. But have you listened to Talker and are you confident to talk about art? Yes. And if we brush up on our queer art history? Yes. Absolutely. We're <laughs> big fans of Talker. And what I love about Talker is that it's about taking away some of the sort of mystery around art and that it can be a bit excluding of people, which I think is so cool because so much yes. of it is is made out to be like this kind of dark, a dark magic, you know, and it's not. Mm. And um, I love the way you've demystified it. Thanks, Christopher. I, I concur. I also feel a bit of a parallel between between our podcasts because I feel like both of them kind of, you know, like you, you have the kind of main theme of the show, say, but I think it ends up becoming something quite celebratory about the guest and also a bit like therapy or something. It is very like therapy, yes, isn't it, Alan? indeed. Whose phone gets very therapeutic? Yeah, it's not mine. It's, I'm so sorry. Mine. I just realised it's mine. I don't. I because <laughs> I, I, my. Oh my god! So here's the thing. There is a bowl sitting next to me, full of rice. In it is my mobile phone because I dropped it in the hot tub last night, and because of that, I've had to use the landline, <laughs> oh which seriously I haven't used in years. And I think we only have it in case of nuclear attack. And uh, <laughs> uh, and my dogs upstairs. So does this nuts. mean nuclear attack? No, it's just that my phone's broken. I had to give the number. I had to let. My assistant, call, I think it's my assistant calling me about things about this. But my our dogs are going nuts because they've not, they haven't heard the phone. Yeah. So that was uh, my, mine. That was, that was a quaint little Catskill phone for you there. Sorry about that. 
It sounded so British. I actually loved it. I was going to say it reminded me of like uh, 80s Britain for some reason. Sounds like yeah, me school. too. Do you remember that thing yeah. they used to have when you'd call? Are you are you all too young to remember this? But when they when you'd call and and it was engaged and they go, the number you're calling knows you are waiting. Oh yeah, yes, I love that. Yes, me too. That, I love that lady. Talking about the eighties though, um, when you were younger, were you were either of you creative? Well, not the eighties for, for Alan. Seventies, but... <laughs> <40s. laughs> Alan, Alan. Don't tell 70s that. for Alan. God. Take that as a compliment. Oh my god! Seventies <laughs> no, were cool. A nightmare, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, well, yes, I think I think I am creative. I think we're all creative little types. Do you mean like where we art, arty, making art creative? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or how? Or how I'm just interested in like what your what your what it was like when you were growing up, and like how you ended up becoming what. you Oh, well, way back then, it was like you know we had uh, pots of paint were delivered on horseback, <laughs> and. Uh, we used to like go and kill the animals to make our brushes. But no, I, I mean, um, I grew up in Scotland and we had great, I mean, you know, it's interesting sort of living in America now and also looking back at Britain and the, the way that the, the education system is going and realizing, you know, we had great, uh, art was a big part of our schooling and it was deemed very important and it still is in Scotland. I think the arts are deemed much more important in Scotland than they are in the rest of Britain and certainly than they are in America. But when I look back at it, I used to love, I'm not very, I, I don't really do much. I, mean, I, I take photographs. I had an exhibition of photographs a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm a married to an illustrator. So I kind of like get, I have a lot of creativity in that area around me. But uh, I just, I actually really love the room I'm sitting in right now in our house. It's called the Arts and Crafts Room because it's a big sort of sideboard over there. And it's full of like things on rainy days when we come and make collages. I love a bit, I love a bit of um, decoupaging. And yes, I always say decolletage, but that means boobs. But I do love uh, I do love a bit of decoupage. Yeah. Your chest, sweaty, chesty area. What, what did you what, say? The decollaging yes. you do. So, like, what's in there then? Like glitter and uh, in the in the uh, glitter, glue, crepe old, paper, old interesting pictures, crepe paper, paints, pens, uh, you know, little bubbly nice. things, sort of all different crafty stuff. And boxes, or like if you get a nice present in a posh box, I keep the posh box for decoupaging. And that's what I like to do. Like I had for, for presents for Grant, actually for his birthday, because it was when we were in lockdown, I made him like a little box and put old pictures, old foot, you know, old photographs Aww. and things inside of our old dogs and everything like that. I made, and colour it and put glitter and stuff on it. I like that. It's a nice sort of thing to do. Yeah, it's great. And then you get all these boxes and you don't know what to do, but you don't know what to do with them. But it's a lovely sort of thing to it's enjoyable and on, and we also do some uh, papier mâché there's a few things with old you know yeah. coat hangers and uh, old bits of old newspaper I love a bit of that actually guess what a few years ago I made a papier mâché hat right here in this very room I, and I was very proud of it I had a little sort of a little peak it was like a little like a little berry with a little peak but it was made of paper newspaper and it had you know all covered in glue and, and it was made of uh, coat hangers and I wore it to a party that Lady Gaga gave for the launch of some collection of things that she was selling, and uh, I wore it, like I wore it on the red carpet at a big event. <laughs> a papi, papi mashi hat. I should oh find God, a picture of it and that. send it to you. It's hilarious. Talking of pop pop music, I saw you on the on 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 Madonna's Instagram because she invited oh, you to the right. show in London. Though, how are you friends with yes. Madonna? Oh, that's a long story. I uh, <laughs> I first met her. I know it is actually. She, I met her. She came to see Cabaret when I did it on Broadway the first time in 1998. And uh, and afterwards, 
you know, we were all like, oh, Madonna's in, Madonna's in. And I could see her in the audience. And I was sort of always on stage, you know, sort of lurking, sort of seductively somewhere, you know, lying, lying around. And I could, I saw her braiding her hair while she was watching the show. And then, <laughs> and, and then, so afterwards we were all thinking, oh, she's going to come backstage. She didn't come backstage and thought, oh, she hated it. Oh dear, how awful. Then I went and had a shower. And when I came back into my shower, after my shower, I was drying myself. And this man, this big man came into my room and went, hi, Alan, I'm a Madonna's driver. I'm Kane. And I went, and I'm Abel. And, and uh, <laughs> he then said, Madonna wants to, you to come with her, come with me and go for dinner with her. And I was like, okay, I'll see you outside. And then, of course, I went upstairs. I was like, oh my God, oh, Madonna's invited me to dinner. Oh my God. And then I suddenly, I, was, I got in the car with them and I thought, he could be a total imposter. He could be like a murderer. And I've just got in the car with this person. He says he's Madonna's driver, but you know, I could be being taken to my death right now. Oh my but God. instead I was taken to Nobu. And uh, that's Similar. when, that's that's how our relationship thing, began. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. But when I did that thing, the thing you saw on her Instagram, it was when she was doing her concerts at the Royal Albert Hall. And I, and she, I, I went, actually, I, you know, that I got free tickets to go to it. And the, the, but the kind of the, what I had to do was to do this thing where you, she pretends to go, oh, hello, I'll just sit down beside this member of the audience. And it's usually a famous person and she has a little chat with you. But it, during that chat, it was nice to see her. I, I said, I said, I, she talked about coming to see me in Cabaret and I said, I remember you were braiding your hair. And she went, <laughs> was I? That's incredibly rude. And I went, yes, it was rude. Like that. <laughs> it was kind of nice to go back to after all these years. Oh. Are you Madonna fans? Yeah, well, I was. I just did an interview for Griefcast, another podcast the other day, and I was talking about um, how Blonde Ambition had been such a kind of important moment for me because, A, I kind of related to the immaturity of it all because I think everybody in it was acting like they were about 11 years old, which I was at the time. And, um, and B, I just think it was such an important positive message for kind of inclusivity and diversity and and sort of gay rights. And I think I saw myself for the first time at that age of 11. And it kind of gave me permission to then sort of be myself. And I found it quite interesting, just the idea that, you know, that when you're growing up, you can you can kind of um, align yourself with these figures in, in pop culture or, you know, whatever it may be. And Christopher and I the other day were talking about David Hockney as well. Because, like, mm. you know, the idea that even artworks and artists can also give you that kind of permission. There, there always this sort of um, like I remember Hockney being this weird Trojan horse of like it was in the books at school, you know, and it was two men in a shower, and you're like, holy fuck, how did this get in here? But it was like I remember it being my first memories of like queerness and uh, from a young age and seeing that, and no one normally those images were kind of vilified as wrong, but they weren't because they were art. And I always thought that was quite interesting that they were just accepted and praised, you know? Yeah. Um, which I thought, but it was interesting what you were saying, Alan, about like Scotland appreciating art and the arts because yeah. in London where I grew up, like it wasn't really the same. Like there was art history, but it was always quite pompous and sort of made me switch off because it made me feel like I didn't know enough yeah, about too. it yeah. and so I was like oh I must have I must have failed somehow I must have missed something so I'm just not gonna you know but I, I I was trying to remember my first memory of seeing art and it was when I was remembering I must have been christened when I was about five and the vicar was coming round to our house and my dad took <laughs> these four photos off the wall that were kind of Mapplethorpe-esque sort of like <laughs> 
orchids and legs apart and stuff and he took them off the wall because the vicar was coming around to talk wow. about my christening <laughs> love that oh that's yeah. great that's that so good that was amazing you had that on the wall though and you, you grew up with them influences in your family home yeah so it was like because my dad was a fashion photographer so there was photography around but oh, it wasn't wow. actually Mapplethorpe it was kind of like an in, an 80s take on you know what I mean it was a bit yeah, more yeah, fashion yeah. photography esque yeah but did did you was you around so when did you first realize that there was gay art and also especially photography and fashion photography it was predominantly like gay men that were spearheading a lot of that movement when did you know that that was a thing can you remember i didn't at all you know i i think like the first time that all that stuff, especially things that alluded to imagery like Mapplethorpe, yeah. I just thought was orchids. You know what I mean? I didn't see the kind of innuendo <laughs> and all of that. Sexualized, yeah. Yeah, but it, I think the first time, Jesus, I was thinking about this. I was sort of like seeing Tom of Finland stuff, you know, and that was kind of quite sexually aggressive. But well, you went straight to Tom of Finland. I remember being really shocked by Tom of Finland for some reason. Like I just found it so kind of overtly sexual and I think I just wasn't ready yet or something. Why did we see it as kids though? Because I definitely saw it in and around school. Yeah, no, I think I did too. What? And I wonder what that's about. Yeah. I I don't know when the first gay imagery... I mean, I remember when I was a kid and we went Tenerife and you could get them playing cards in like the, mm-hmm. the uh, kind of local shops that had all naked women on or naked men and you can get them biro yes. pens. You, you click it and they're like bra and yeah, knickers that come those. off or their yes. pants. And the clothes love fall off. And oh, I, I love them. The clothes oh, yeah. fall off and you tip them upside down. And I remember I bought a pack of cards and I must have been nine and I was shaking like a leaf and I think they were like three pesetas or something. And I took these cards and I remember I went back and I sat in the toilet and I just stared at these cards just thinking, oh my God, I had to hide them. And they were like, ah, it was like they were fire in my hand, but I was able to stare at these images and these photographs from, they were porn, they were like soft porn imagery. But when it comes to art, I don't know when I first saw artwork that was depicting homosexuality or or anything LGBTQI plus that I was like aware of it. But do you, do you remember, Adam? Um, Gosh, no, I, I, I'm trying to, I was trying to think. It's hard. I can't isn't it? really because I think now we know, but now it's like trying to think when the first thing. The first the, thing. It must have been Hockney. Like you're saying yeah. right about the two men in the shower or the guy in the yeah. pool or I, I, we I two remember, always cling together. Yeah, I remember finding a Hockney book in the school library, and one of the reasons I was looking at it was weirdly linked to Madonna again because he did this photo collage made of loads of different Polaroids where he had like a naked woman in a bed or something, and it really reminded me of kind of like erotica that whole era. And I remember mm. seeing that, and in, in that that was the first image I saw. And then the more I went through it, I discovered all his etchings, which were like of him and his then boyfriend in the seventies, I guess, sixties maybe. But and I remember just like Christopher being like, "What? Like this is." you know, what I'm feeling almost like. And they were very mm-hmm. tender, kind of intimate, you know, like maybe them in the bathroom or like him looking in the mirror, you know, or in, in bed, the bed. Just or, in bed. Yeah, but but you always had the sense of them hugging or kissing. or. It was quite sexually inert, wasn't it? Yeah. I was going to say, you know, the pool and the pool picture. So the pool pictures is a yeah. sort of whole se- series of pictures. And I think the ones that are the most famous are actually were in, a, in, a, in LA, in his house in LA. But they first started in France, in um, this place just outside Saint-Tropez, in this little place called Le Garde Fournier. It's a place called Le Nid de Duc, which was a house that belonged to Tony Richardson and Vanessa Redgrave. And they had a pool there. And, and what was so crazy was, and, and Hockney visited, and I went there many, many, many years later with a bunch of friends. 
to stay for, I went two holidays there and the pool is the one that he did the first painting of, uh, the first pool painting. In the, and, and the thing is, my friend Julia took a picture of the, with the same angle and two of us doing, the, you know, one of us inside the pool and one of us on the side. And it's so, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. she sent us like that next to the actual, a postcard of the actual <laughs> uh, painting. And it's so funny, just the trees were much, much smaller in his, his version. But it's so amazing to think wow. oh, you're in that, you've been swimming in that pool that this kind of great series of, I mean, it's really iconic and sort of, I think also the thing like, not just the gay thing, but just the fact that it's just two people in a pool that can be fascinating and can be a lot going on. It can tell you a lot about yeah, the their nuance. lives and the whole, I mean, it's, yes, the nuance of, of just a simple interaction, I think kind of uh, came out of those pictures and of Hockney in general, I think. Yeah. And he's, I'm just fascinated by his, the way he just had the confidence to say, I'm going to paint my life and I don't care about it being judged in any way at that time, I think was so transgressive. He's so fascinating for that reason. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and and Francis Bacon as well. It's like the way that they work <gasps> together, like the way that oh. they reacted to each other. And I think at one point, Hockney saw a Bacon show, uh, maybe 1960 in Marlborough Gallery. And I think you remember he, he said, that, said to him, you can smell the balls. He felt he was so kind of visceral, the imagery, that for Hockney, he was so like completely blown away by what Bacon was doing. And mm. it felt like that period, there were so many, when it was still illegal, so so many outwardly like powerful queer voices in the visual arts that were creating this work at a time when it was still completely legal. And I find that so empowering. And now we have so many queer artists, but it felt like then it was so much more vital you know it felt like that was really kicking back yeah there was the hockney stuff was there was something very polite about his images there wasn't there there was something that felt like it would and i feel like that's why it became so huge because it it sort of subtly got a message in without offending anyone and, yeah and collectors wanted to live with it it was it was comfortable to live with it wasn't too overt it wasn't too aggressive or or sexualized it was again mm. it was the nuance so a collector could say to, you know, their parents who are like, what's that about? And it's like, oh, two friends on holiday. You know what I mean? It's like, they, you, could, you can forgive them. But other, other works that were so, you know, you look at Warhol, when he did all the ones that kind of uh, keep kind of coming, resurfacing, all the blowjob drawings and the, and the dick pictures and stuff. And they were like, for himself, oh he created these. I did a foreword for this book, this uh, Andy Warhol book called Andy Warhol's Men. And uh, it was actually the what I wrote in the forward was I had no idea he was such a good, so good at drawing. Cause actually he's got these sort of cocteau, like one, you know, one line sketches that are so good. And uh, mm-hmm. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just didn't, I didn't, then I didn't realize he was so proficient in all that stuff. I thought it was more kind of in the more, you know, poppy screen printing. Uh, yeah. Graphic design sort of. Yes. Yes. But, um, the, in that book, there's some amazing uh, pictures of um, penises and and things like that. Re- and also some photographs as well. It's called Andy Warhol's Men, currently available on alancoming.com forward slash shop. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. 
No, I, ju- I just come back from the tape, seeing the Warhol. Yeah, go on. Sorry, what was that? Oh, what was it like? It's it's great. It's great. But there's there's the room that I was really inspired by was uh, the Ladies and Gentlemen series where he took Polaroids and drew. Uh, at the time, they called them transvestites, but transgender community and the drag community, and they found them all from separate bars and friends recommended friends, and he did this whole series. And so many of these, and they're people of color, so many of these are kind of lost in history. We, we don't know who these characters are, but yet there's Marsha P. Johnson in there, and there's uh, other really? kind of oh, trailblazing wow. activists. But it's such an incredible body of work that is a time capsule of that moment that I spent so long in there just studying these images and you 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 want to know more because these hidden these voices and now we're knowing more about you know Marsha P Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and the, the Stonewall movement we're getting more of that information come through now than ever but these and and especially because of the trans community and people of color it's like the forgotten history anything where there's fragments of the past like that I'm completely drawn to and want I, to suck it up and know yes. more I remember going to Maureen Paley yes. Gallery in London about 10 years ago and that was the first time I ever heard about like Peter Hujar and then um mm. at the time Anthony and the Johnsons was was um you know putting Peter Hujar's photographs on their album yeah, sleeves Candy Darling and I remember on yeah Candy Darling yeah. exactly and then also learning about David David Brunarovich like that whole generation yes. of artists and and then also the photography of Mapplethorpe and I don't know like I, yeah. I sort of caught up much much later and it is I like that word of time capsule because it really is isn't it and the whole AIDS yeah. um, pandemic and you know it's and how many were wiped, how many were wiped out again photography wise how many trailblazers there were who were queer in the photography like sector, not sector, but in photography world, for want of another word, who, again, a whole community was just taken away with AIDS. Yeah. What they were doing, what they were pushing, how they were what's pushing the name ahead. Of Lean, Look at Lena Dunham's mum, like um, Laurie Simmons. Like, what's the name of the yes. artist that she looks after the estate uh, He's called uh, Jimmy DeSanza. Yeah, Jimmy was, DeSanza. They called him Uncle Jimmy, and he was this queer... He photographed these really kind of random, kind of space-agey imagery of, like, a very, like... Um, fragmented body parts in in like uh, kind of space age costume he died of aids and lena's got this whole story about how you know when jimmy comes over if uncle jimmy starts bleeding or cuts himself you can't go near him and uncle jimmy doesn't look isn't very well today so and you just think bloody hell what what that must have been like and how many of these queer artists were just taken away before they had the, the the power to fulfill their potential. Alan, do you remember when we spoke to Frank Holiday, an artist in New York? Do you guys know him? He no. is a abstract artist and he he worked in Warhol's factory his first job. Wow. Um, and now is you know he's still around today, but we spoke to him about exactly that, you know, living through the AIDS crisis and all his, his friends dying and what that was like and you know, extraordinary time, and and and, also... and he was. Um, oh, that was that hilarious story. Shall we tell that yeah, hilarious story? Please do. So, because we're talking about the way that you know, it's interesting. There's this um, TV series I'm trying to get off the ground actually about this time in the late uh, sort of mid to late '90s when the cocktail drugs kicked in. Uh, that meant that you know people could live with HIV. And, and and there's this show I'm working on, it's called Overtime, because all these people who thought they were going to die suddenly had overtime. They suddenly were, had life, and most of them had maxed out their credit cards, given away all their possessions, and now they're like, oops, you know, I'm alive. And also, like, all the survivor's guilt and all these things. So it, it was around that time. So this guy, Frank, had never been tested, 
but he knew he had it. And, and when his health got to the point that he couldn't, uh, you know, look after himself anymore, he went back home to, was it Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or somewhere like that? Um, Maybe it's Pittsburgh. Uh, begins at P, anyway, but north of New York. Anyway, um, so he went to the thing and he was in this room and he was, you know, he was sick and he, but he, was, go, he was going to get tested. He had, he had been tested. He was waiting for the doctors to come back. And he was in there for hours and it was the night of the Tonys. And the Tonys were on telly in the room. And uh, they kept saying, you know, blah, blah, coming up later, all these people. And also a special performance by Liza Minnelli. And he was just looking forward and looking forward to seeing this, seeing Liza. And so, uh, <laughs> so it came to the point, it was at the commercial break. And right as the commercial break ended and they said beforehand, you know, Liza's coming up, it, it, the, the music was starting and said, now two doctors came into his room in hazmat suits, right? Completely covered in hazmat suits. Oh my God. And he was like, he, they, he obviously knew what was going to happen and why they were in hazmat suits and what the result of his test was. And he just went, could you just hold on a second? I want to watch Liza. And so he watched the Liza number and then he turned to them and he said, yes, you're HIV positive. I think that's just the best thing ever. Oh my God. <laughs> Can we get your priorities? That's your priority, isn't it? He's like, Liza. Totally. Yeah. Oh my God. But also just give me, just give me this. Will you just give me three minutes of Liza before you give me a death sentence? Before you give me, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's kind of, I find it, it is, completely mixed in the narrative of our gay history when it comes to art when it comes to creative people when it's it's quite hard to separate it of that period of time now isn't it of these artists and the AIDS epidemic because they're so entwined and so much of the work was born out of that do you feel like that's like now we're in this pandemic now that work will be so entwined in this period that we won't be able to separate it I know like people aren't People are dying, of course, but it isn't like a, this is a, a mod, like massive thing. But do you think like, can you see the work sort of being the same? Well, I think in a way, more, what I think is interesting about the, with, with AIDS, it mostly hit the gay community and who tend to, and, and most, and, and there was a lot of artists in that community. I think per, per capita in this pandemic, there's probably not so many artists dying. But what I think is, fascinating about the legacy of, of AIDS is the schism between the generations of gay men. And like, I did a movie a couple of years ago called After Louis, when I was, of course, the older gay man. And there was a young guy that I was having an affair with. And we were talking about the idea that there's this missing generation of mentors and everything. And that to me is really interesting. What is missing? What is missing because of AIDS? And also what will be missing because of COVID? I mean, for a certain generation, it'll be a year of their education. And a year of, you know, maybe I think it must be weird. Like you're, 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 if it's your first year of college and you've got to do, stop all that and go back and live home with your mom and dad, it must be this really weird sort of sets of problems that we're going to find out more about in years to come that how people have been affected by just the logistics of what's, what we're all going through. Mm. There was also like a, a sort of heartbreaking private struggle with HIV that we haven't had as much with COVID, you know, that, these people were being left to be ravaged by HIV because they were deemed to be broken people anyway who deserved yeah. this disease. And I think that with art is an incredible mix. And I think that's why it's such a potent time because this community of people who all just had each other because they were excluded were then ravaged by AIDS was just so unbelievable um, to hear people talk about. You know, when we spoke to Frank Holliday, for example, it was just the most, 
bitter ending to something. Yeah. I also think there was such an intimacy to the work that they were making a lot of these artists at that time because they were making it in their bedroom. So if you think of Jimmy Dasana, like they were all like just shot in in small interior spaces and the same with Peter Hoosier, you know. And the, I think there's something about that that thing as well. You know, I remembered the other day about when the leaflets used to come through in the mid-80s um, onto the doorstep in England and they, they had that really heavy advertising campaign about about AIDS and they'd kind of like, Oh, with the um, iceberg. Yeah, and, and and I watched it. I watched it the oh. other day on online, and it is such a terrifying advert. And it talks about how like AIDS is coming to, for everyone, and that and that up to that point it had just been small groups or something. Like the way they term, you know, the terms used is so homophobic. But that that was what I got. Really, that was the that was what was that was I was like, you know, I was like seventeen in nineteen eighty two. And I right, think right. these things started in, I think those commercials started maybe 84, 83, yeah. around about then perhaps. But I was like, I was, you know, just starting my sexual odyssey. And you got, and we had the fear of fucking God put into us by those commercials. Yeah. I mean, actually, I'd look back on that. I think that's the one thing, uh, good thing I think Thatcher ever did because it was under yeah. her watch and those ads went out and they were, they terrified everyone and everyone used a condom right well not everyone of course yeah so they were actually successful it really was effective yeah yeah if you want to scare people to make sure they use a condom you know that that was a successful example of it and it was john hurt did the voiceover yeah that's right yeah that's right it's also the idea this iceberg which has got aids written in it but it's it's an iceberg so it's only the tip of the iceberg that we're seeing now there's so much more going on i mean that kind of metaphor was terrifying and i it really Mm. i think it really changed certainly changed my life I think in terms of because you know I was early stages of being sexually active and all my friends both straight and gay everybody was incredibly vigilant and and very chastising of each other if you had you know oops a little accident everyone was on you about it it was just completely uh, across the board <laughs> <That's> an <image. laughs> there's a there's a an education thing, I think, which is interesting, isn't it? Because w- there was heavy education about the dangers of of queerness, but no education about what it was to be queer. And I think it's interesting how back then, if we're thinking about all the touchstones of art that we've just mentioned, like most of those people are white and men. And it's the white gay experience, isn't it, that we are. And I feel like now we're going back, like you were saying, Russell, like going back and seeing that Marsha P. Johnson was in those Warhol pictures, but it was just ignored. And to reappraise all of that is a really exciting time. I think that feels like the future, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, we, we had Margate Pride here last weekend in Margate and, um, and two, two of the speeches, you know, we're talking all about, all about Marsha P. Johnson and, and it's so brilliant that, you know, people are now acknowledging her kind of legacy and the, and the fight that she was fighting for for all of us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, you mm. know, thanks to her. I've got her on my T-shirt today, oh, this very day. That. I've oh. got Marsha P. Johnson on my T-shirt. Have you? Yeah, drawn no drawn by my oh. husband, actually. For It says, sometimes you got to throw a brick. Uh, throw, got to throw bricks. World Pride, New York, 2019. Grant oh. drew this uh, picture for, for these T-shirts. Funny old world. So is your, is your, is your husband an artist? Yeah, he's an illustrator. So he... Uh, and it, Oh my yeah, God, and cool. he's, it's funny because tonight I'm going back into the city to have got to work on this thing tomorrow in a studio and I'm going to actually my bar, Club Coming, to do some 
intros because we're doing this virtual variety show. And uh, I, the, the Grant drew the murals in Club Coming. There's these two murals that are, everyone loves and they're really beautiful. And he and everyone gets a photo taken in front of them. And he did them. And now we've got these masks of with the mural. I'm going to wear it for the first time tonight. The the Club Coming mural masks. When did he When did he do the murals? Because I I was in your club last uh, beginning of the year. I went there with Grant. He didn't point them out. Have they been? How long have they been there? Oh, did he not point them out? Oh no. Well. They've been there since the beginning. They're oh. like, as you come in, if it was busy, you mightn't have seen oh, them. yeah, it was really busy. Because you basically, as you come in, they're on either side. But if there's people in front, you won't see them. Uh-huh. It's more up, there's a sort of little raised bit. We call that the VIP area, yeah. laughingly. <sighs> uh, that's where there's a couple of ch- chairs. That's There's one there. And then there's one like on the, the same side as the bar, but further t- towards the door. There's two oh, sets. Right. They're really gorgeous. And uh, yeah, it's an incredible so he, space. The, and I saw this amazing. Yeah, he's a darling. Didn't Liza Minnelli demand that she was added to it? Yes, Liza demanded. It was so funny because I was telling, I was visiting, I was in LA and I was visiting Liza and I was telling her about uh, the bar and everything and, you know, what the spirit of it I wanted to get and all the kind of bring people together, all ages, all genders, all sexualities, all that. And I said that Grant was drawing a, a mural and stuff and we're chatting with her and, and she went, she went, I want to be in the mural. I was like, what? And she went, I'm, I've got the same spirit as Club Coming. I'm like that. Tell Grant I will kill him if he doesn't put me in the mural. And so I went home. I was like, uh, Liza said she's going to kill you if you don't paint her in the mural. So that's why she's, um, she's in it. She's, she, there's a picture of her. I'm giving her a kiss in the mural, yeah. Uh, hey, boys, um, do you know this uh, Scottish artist called Alison Watt? No. No. Ah. Uh. I think she's great. It's funny because, you know, when we were com- going to come on this podcast, I was, sort of th- try- I was trying to think about sort of seminal artist or art moments for me or, or about, yeah, about yeah, yeah. art pieces of art that spoke to me. And I always remember the very first um, time I made any money from acting, like my first job. And I had like this, mm. you know, however much it was. And I, I remember I, I was in Glasgow and I went to this um, big uh, sort of, what's it called? Princess Square, this kind of big gallery of uh, shops and everything, and I and there was this beautiful painting of by Alison Watt, and she was before she was famous, and she she uh, she's this Scottish painter that does these incredible sort of, she's, well she's done lots of different things over the years, you know, but she anyway I think she's stunning, and this was a painting of hers, and it was I wasn't drawn to it because I knew her name, I knew nothing about it, I just had a connection to it, I loved it. And then there was also in the next shop along a pair of Catherine Hamnett jeans that I was just obsessed with as well. And the jeans won. And I bought the jeans instead of this little picture by Alison Watt, which was <laughs> oh. a foolish decision on many levels because also like, you know, the, the jeans, the pockets <laughs> broke within a week and you couldn't I'd always lose money by putting them in. And it was that, that sort of ripped jeans, start of that ripped jeans phase. But I just always regret not buying that Alison Watt. So what was the... What was the image? Because I can see that she she makes works that are like close-ups of fabric or something. Oh, that's one sort of wavy thing. So you look at the wavy things. That's that's one phase. No, it wasn't one of those. It was it was earlier than that. She said, you know, is she yeah, quit? Like in the eighties. No, I don't think so. Don't think so. She was just. I don't know. She's just. It was just something very beautiful and simple about it. She's no it. be as well. Yeah, I really loved her. Mm, she does portraits as well. They're nice. Yeah, the portraits really are nice. great. Very yeah, I think there's somebody in the, in the Scottish National Portrait Gallery actually. Lucian Freud. That yeah, that she did a, a, a portrait of somebody that's really stunning. I can't remember. Oh, that's another thing. I got my picture. Do you know an artist called uh, Christian Hook? He won the uh, Portrait Artist of the Year award a couple of years ago, and the prize was you got a picture in the 
Scottish National Portrait Gallery, and I yeah, yeah, yeah. was at the subject. Oh. And so he did this incredible picture of me, which is in my na- in my nation's portrait gallery with all you know the great and the good of Scotland. And there's me mm. with a kilt around my neck and uh, looking crazy. But I really love. Oh my his god, work. I'm looking at it now. It's amazing. Isn't that stunning? What's his name again? You're very sorry? glamorous. Christian Hook. And what's funny is that he, so there was two, the one that's in the gallery, I've got the kilt around my neck and I'm sort of looking over my shoulder. And there was another one, because the, 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 when it was unveiled, it was like there was still part of the TV program, like Joan Bakewell and um, Thingy Skinner, Frank Skinner were there and all that, you know, and they did, I unveiled the thing. And it was terrifying, actually, sort of in the, in the grand hall of the portrait gallery. And hilariously, they took down the portrait of the Queen to put my one up in its place. Thank you. Drop the mic, snap. (laughs) uh, But he'd done... Yeah, insert Queen jokes. He had done another portrait of me and he gave me the other one. And I think it's it's on Google as well. It's the one where there's sort of three different versions of my head or something. And you see my nipple... And oh yeah, I'm looking at it now. Oh my god, these are great as well. And he painted he painted Sarah McKellen as well. He did Ian too. Yes, he's done a lot of people, and he's he's done. I think he's got some sort of TV show now where he goes around and paints people and things. But he's he's from Malta, and he's uh, just amazing and such a nice guy. And he when he you know like I I've been painted a few times, and you sort of imagine when you're going to be painted that it's sort of like a quiet, calm thing. You'll sit there and just sort of just with your thoughts. And sometimes it is, but this was like chat he made me paint a couple of times and just talking and everything and he put two amazing things into the picture the one that's in the gallery i told him that i was he said uh, how how are you and i, I sort of said i'm actually kind of sad my, my dog i had for a long time had died recently and and also scotland had just voted no in the independence uh, referendum i was very sad about both those things so in the picture there's first of all the, the kilt that i'm wearing is the kilt of the independence campaign the official tartan of the independence campaign and my dog was called honey and there's a little jar sitting next to me that says honey on it and then it says yes 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 around the around the brim and so my little my little mutt you know from the pound is in this going to be forever in this portrait in the scottish national portrait gallery but i love that he took things about from my life and talk to me and at one point I danced I just danced he'd see me dancing he'd come to my dressing room and I was having a party and he said I want you to dance and I'll paint when you dance and so he was like flinging paint onto the canvas and I was dancing around it was such fun how long does it take to be painted oh well that one didn't take well we did a couple of sittings he did all these test ones I've actually got uh, here I've got a few of his test you know uh, paintings he did of me sort of in greys and blacks that I really like. But uh, that was, it was over a couple of days. We did a few sittings and some photographs. But then I did, the most recent time I did that, as you know, um, Don Bacardi, he was Christopher Isherwood, uh, his, you know, who wrote the, uh, the Goodbye to Berlin and all that, all the stuff that Cabaret is based on. His boyfriend, Christopher Isherwood's dead now, but Don Bacardi is a painter and he's still alive and he lives in Santa Monica. And a couple of years ago, I was making a film and he invited me down to, and to paint me. And it was one of those mesmerizing, he's a very old man. And he's sort of that weird, you know how, have you seen the documentary about them? It's really great. It's called Chris and Dawn, A Love Story or something. And No, I never saw that. I know his painting. Oh, it's so good. Because like, well, Don Bacardi was very, very, very young when they started going out. And he basically kind of subsumed his life into, he became... You know, he started to sound like him. He and like he 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 talks like this. He's sort of got you know he's a California boy, born and bred, but he's got this amazing accent. And Michelle Williams, who was playing Sally Bowles, she told me that she'd said to she sort of talked to him about stuff, and she said to Don, "Do do you miss Chris?" 
And, and he said, well, how would I miss him? I've become him. Isn't that spooky? And so I, would, oh I was in his wow. studio being it's painted by him. Mr. Ripley. That's Isn't it? And I, I was in his studio, which was the room that Christopher Isherwood had died in. And Don did these amazing pictures and drawings of Christopher Isherwood whilst he was still dead. Well, whilst he was dead and still in the room before they took him away. And I'm sitting there being painted by Don Bacardi. And over Don's head is this massive portrait of Christopher Isherwood who, that's looking down at me. I think, God, here, this man who never knew me did, uh, affected my life so hugely by, you know, because I d- did a, a play that was based on his works. And here I am all these years later in the room he died in being painted by his surviving partner. And that was an incredible experience because it was about, I was about four hours and it felt like it was 10 minutes. And I was just, and we didn't speak at all. It was really incredible. Wow. wow. And I tried, yeah. And, 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 we, and he wanted me to look in his eyes the entire time. It was like, it was like you know, in Jungle Book, trust in me. It was like that. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to that episode. We are very uh, happy to have collaborated with Homo sapiens. So get over to Homo sapiens now. This is just a reminder and listen to their episode of Talk Art. Part two over at Homo sapiens. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com